Hello, everybody. Welcome to Two Nuts in a Pod. I'm Lizzie. And I'm Emery. And we have a special guest today. Yes, we do. Nancy Brooks, who is the executive director with the National Alliance on Mental Illness, the Louisville chapter here in Louisville, Kentucky. She's been executive director for two and a half years. So, Nancy, you want to say hi to everyone? Hello, everyone. And we're very excited to have Nancy here. But before we get into our conversation with Nancy, we got to start with some business. I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you where you're gonna find us. So first of all, you can email us anytime at two nuts in a podcast at gmail.com. So you can email us suggestions for the show, ideas you have, uh, resources you want to connect us with, questions you have. You can ask those questions anonymously. Whatever you want to do, you can email us at two nuts in a podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on the interwebs, Instagram, which is the number two, two nuts in a pod, and then Facebook, which is Two spelled out, T-W-O, two nuts in a pod. So you can find us on Instagram and on Facebook. So whichever social media device, make sure you follow us on theirs. And then, of course, not only can you listen to us on 106.5 Forward Radio and forwardradio.org, but you can also listen to us on streaming services. And those streaming services are iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and CastBox. It's like we're everywhere. Like, they're just... All over the place. Yeah, we're I mean, everywhere. You can't you can't get away. You can't hide from us. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we keep our friends. We just make sure that they can't hide from us. Yeah, we're just going to start sending you mailings and everything. We're just going to be constantly in your face all the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. Don't worry. Yeah, we we're not. <laughs> we will never do that. <laughs> we don't have that kind of a human power yeah, no. to be sending out emails. But, uh, but we do like your emails. Yes. And as I've said before... Um, Remember, I have social anxiety. I spend a lot of time on the couch. Mm -hmm. And uh, please socialize me. Send send us an email because it just, you know, gives me something to do. Makes me feel connected. Even if it's just you want to just talk about something in the show. And you're like, I really like what they said in this part. And I just want to send cute puppy pictures or something. We'll take that too. Whatever. Suggest topics. Yeah. (laughs) Yours is way more relevant than mine was just cute puppy pictures. No, I was nodding vigorously when you were talking about puppy pictures. (laughs) No no one can see that, but I was was on board. Yeah, she was definitely nodding. Okay. (laughs) Well, we'll move into Roses and Thorns. And Lizzie, do you want to explain what Roses and Thorns is? Yes. So Roses and Thorns, uh, it's something that I don't know if anyone's ever done it in a classroom before that at the end of the lesson... The teacher might ask for the roses and thorns. So what are the concepts that you really feel like you have a handle on? And what are the ones that are a little thorny for you? What's sticking out? What's making things more difficult for you? Where are those areas of growth kind of thing? And so the way that we do roses and thorns is we kind of think about what's been happening in our lives recently. And we try to reflect on what is going well, like what's the rose? And then what are the thorns? What's been trickier What's been, you know, causing inner conflict for us? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You want me to start? Yeah. Take, yeah. It, take it away. <laughs> I'm, I'm starting. Well, I'll start with it was all today. And it's been the last like 15, not the last 15, maybe the last couple hours. Um, my thorn was that I was running late. And I'm just one of those people that just, I do not like to show up tardy or late to anything. Even though in high school, my senior year of high school, I had one of those. I had my, we had seven periods during the day and first period was 
basically you just come in and it was, I was thinking I was like a teacher's aide or a classroom aide. So I showed up late every day to school, but somehow I was able to go through a back door and get into class every day. So I was never counted as tardy. So that was really nice. Mm. So I didn't mind it back then, but now I'm kind of a stickler with it. I'm kind of a stickler with time and making sure I show up on time. And I didn't. And I wanted to introduce Nancy to Lizzie because I'd known Nancy for a couple of years and I've known Lizzie for several years. And I was like, oh, I should be here to introduce. And I wasn't. And I felt I felt really bad. So I just... Uh, it's I, okay. We I, were BFFs by the time yes, you got here. It's fine. Yes, everything's okay. <laughs> Thank you. And you've never been late and I'm late constantly. <laughs> well, yeah, I just, for some reason, I, I never get upset with other people being late, but for some reason I place that pressure on myself for being late. And I really, mm. I don't like when it happens and I feel like kind of disoriented when I'm late. Yeah. But I was late for my rose is, um, I was at an event that was featuring my former college newspaper. So I was before all of this, I, uh, my goal was in life to be a reporter for the New York times. It hasn't happened yet there you uh, go maybe they'll hear this podcast and they'll be like we should hire this guy for i don't know what they would hire me for yes. um but i wanted to be a reporter for the new york times and i was editor of my college newspaper and we actually had like kind of a little reunion of former college editors and reporters who worked at the student newspaper at the university of louisville and so we all congregated together and met and the reason i was late i was like i'm gonna leave at 2 30 i got a hard stop at 2 30 but at 2.30, they flicker the lights, and then they start doing introductions, and they start having a conversation. I was like, I can't be the person that leaves in front of everyone. And I'd given my coat to someone to put in a side room, and I was like, I'm oh going to I'm gonna have to walk, by, walk through everyone doing introductions <laughs> to go get my coat. So I had to wait for the right time, and that's why I was a little late. But I was so happy to see that's everyone. That's a really good reason. Yeah, and <laughs> Your I, coat was being held hostage. My, my poor little coat was held hostage. So I, I didn't know when I could leave. And But honestly, it was very nice to just to see people and also to see the former newspaper. I hadn't been in that office in 12 years, and that used to be my life. Uh, that was... I was the editor and I worked full time. So I went to school full time and worked full time as editor of the college newspaper. And it was a lot of exciting and a lot of fun and very challenging and also kind of helped guide me in a lot of different avenues in life. And it just was a great experience. So it was nice to be back. And so that was definitely my rose. Is that University of Louisville? Yeah, University of Louisville. So it was I the... didn't know that you were editor for the paper there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I feel like, wow, you're even more important. And awesome than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then, um, it was 2007 and 2008. I was the editor, and it was just such an incredible opportunity and learning experience. But yeah, I, uh, that was that was back in the day when I was I was full steam ahead. I'm going to be a newspaper reporter, and that did not happen. But I had so many great experiences, so I won't wouldn't change anything. Well, I feel like your first dream career is just like the starting point for brainstorming. Mm-hmm. You're like, I have these skills, but when you're young, you've you only know so many jobs. You only know so many jobs exist. So you're like, let me pick out of the top ten jobs that I know that exist, <laughs> which one my skills will match with. Yeah, and then you realize like, oh, there's tons of nuance. There's tons of stuff that with that particular job might not mm-hmm. work for me, but my skills can go to lots of other jobs. Yeah, I agree. But also, like you said, there's plenty of time. Plenty of time. I can still change careers. Yeah. I can just be like, you know what? I'm moving to New York City right now. 
Forget you, what college if, students who need funding. I'm out of here. <laughs> what if they started a Kentucky bur- 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 Bureau? Oh, my goodness, that word. <laughs> yep, yep, bureau. <laughs> I'll be the Bureau Chief for the state of Kentucky, just reporting all Kentucky news all the time. Uh, Maybe one day. Yeah. I can dream. But yeah, that's my Rosenthorn. All right. Do you want to go next, Nancy, or do you want me to go next? I can go. Okay. Um, I'm keeping it in relationship to NAMI Louisville. This week, we have been working for over a year to create a um, new program that we're bringing to the Louisville market entitled um, A Stigma-Free Workplace. And the effort there is that we are going to get into the workplace and help um, human resources personnel, um, owners of businesses, to support their staff in a way that brings a win-win for that organization. They're going to have the opportunity to keep their true and and trained employees healthy and, you know, mentally healthy as well as physically healthy. And the employees are going to be offered all the services that we provide as well as any resources that we're connected with in the community. Have had an employee in place for a couple months, but this week media hit the, the airwaves and the papers. Um, an article was printed in Business First, and we were on the Don G show all in one week. So nice. the staff was just pumped, and we were wow. just having fun and, you know, engaging in mm-hmm. that that win. So it's called Stigma Free Workplace. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, I love our, that. I love that title too. Yes. And we've talked about that on the show. Is like how important it is to have employers that you can share who you actually are and what you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And um, that connectedness going back and forth from folks that we've been working with who have expressed that they um, want to partner with us on this have had experiences where the owner's um, bravery in supporting their individual staff member has brought more of a family atmosphere to the the workplace for them where Mm -hmm. they're all getting along you know, better and having a better relationship. So it's going to work. Mm-hmm. We just need to work with everyone out there that's interested in that program. That is great. Yep. My thorn is um, we have multiple other programs that we run in our community, and it's all run by volunteers. This week, we had three different volunteers have issues. Mm. In their, and I've not had that in the two and a half years that I've been here. So... For me, that was a real challenge, and it was also, as you had already mentioned, a um, a wake-up to say, well, what is it that we can um, change? Mm -hmm. What can we make better? And I recognize that the trainings are done at the state level, so I'm not in attendance. The state staff is training, and I think we need to have a supplementary training that's here that says, look, you know, come to the office, ask for our support. Let us know when something's not exactly right. Let us um, support you. Mm-hmm. Here's how, here's some tools. And so that's, that's the direction. I think I'm going to take that um, thorn and turn it into a rose. So super proactive. I love yeah. it. I yeah. never like resolve my thorn. <laughs> In, in one go. <laughs> Maybe that's aspirational for me today. Today's kind of thorny, yeah. So my rose is that I am getting ready to go to Costa Rica. Hey, yo. I'm very excited. Be- spending time in San Jose and Manuel Antonio Beach and have not traveled for four years. My husband and I, well, besides traveling for life events, 
Yeah. You mean like you know, travel abroad? If we haven't traveled abroad or really mm-hmm. traveled just ourselves. Yeah. Just my husband and I just going on a trip together. So one of the reasons we hadn't is that we've been in this space of like, you know, just focusing on saving and paying off debt. And that's positive, but it, it really is a grind and it can leave you with kind of this mindset that you never have enough and that you can't do anything for yourself, mm-hmm. that you can't purchase anything unless it is absolutely a necessity of life. And one kind of shift that I had was was realizing we need to take a trip together. We need this experience and debt doesn't have to be this thing that, you know, scares us away from doing the things that are important to us. And, you know, that like debt is fine. Most people have it. Debt is kind of a natural part of our lives. And if you let it get too big, then it's the debt's winning. You're Mm -hmm. losing, (laughs) you know, and not to see it as the scary enemy, but it's like, okay, this is like, something that's given me more capability to do things that are important to me right now that I can factor into planning finances for the future. It's just kind of a shift. I think um, as a, um, as your term, the term you coined elder millennial. Oh, I didn't coin it. There's, oh, you didn't? No, you there's, um, that. no, there's actually a, um, a comedy special. I don't remember the name of the comedian who has her comedy specials called elder millennial. That's oh, when I first heard okay. it. Okay. So I think it's a term. You can probably find it on Urban Dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought as elder millennials, you and me, my, you and you and me, myself, <laughs> uh, as elder millennials, I feel like if you don't have debt, like we 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 all have debt. It's just it's a reality. It's weird if someone, <laughs> to me honestly, it's weird if someone around our age, if they're elder millennials or younger millennials, if they don't have debt, it just seems like how did they make it through? Especially with rising and escalating college costs and expenses here and there, just as it's it's hard not to. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually wanted to recommend it's a podcast that I listened to a long time ago, but it just started like coming back into my head when I was thinking about my thorn. Um, it's called Her Money Matters. Uh, Jen Hempel is the host. And one she has this this framework of having like a mindset of plenitude instead of scarcity. Mm. And that a scarcity mindset is just not helpful. Never thinking like you have enough. It's not proactive. It leaves you feeling helpless. Yeah. So the idea is to, no matter what your salary is, you can find a way that you have enough. And that it's just, she really has a good way of explaining things that just lowers my blood pressure. And I'm somebody who finances are a big trigger for me. And listening to it just made me feel like, okay. Okay. And it's free. It's a free podcast. It left me with actual advice that wasn't like, I mean, it was very practical and doable advice. Um, So, and little, she talks about, you know, being grateful for things like being able to pay the bills and thinking, just reframing things like thinking of saving as paying your future self, um, making payments on credit. Well, she talks about saving as paying your future self and I also can extrapolate that to like making payments on credit. I try to think of it like saving, like yeah. I'm paying my future self because it's not really satisfying when you're chipping away at credit. And so many of us are, and we feel like mm-hmm. the progress is so slow that it just feels like you're just 
the Sisyphean <laughs> journey. Yeah, exactly. And uh, for me, I think, well, I am freeing up space on that card for future fun things that I want to do. When I make that payment, it's like, imagine that what I just unlocked. It's like a game when you just unlocked a new level. It's like, <laughs> look at that. Look at that free space on that card. Look at that sexy space on that card. It's like, just like getting psyched about <laughs> it. Right, you know, right. don't look at that negative number on the card. Yeah. Look at the positive number. I like on the that card. proactive, positive approach. Yes. Well, I was just thinking as you were talking, um, you certainly don't want to be financially irresponsible to your future self, but, yeah. um, Prior to taking on this job, I had been in community development work, and all my travels brought ideas to to mind that I could utilize in my work. Um, mm. So sometimes travel actually helps us to grow in a way that pushes us into a position to earn more more income or be more successful at the work that we're mm-hmm. doing, and that chips away at that debt as well. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Thank oh. you for that. Also, can we talk about, I mean, one thing that you're really excited about seeing in Costa Rica? Oh, my gosh. So, I mean, I don't know um, how we're going to not mention this. It just is. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, sloths are like my spirit animal <laughs> because as a depresso, like their whole vibe, the moving slowly, <laughs> only moving when absolutely necessary. The fact that they like being in trees so much that they only go down to use the bathroom like I think once every I have to check the statistic. I'll put the sloth stats. <laughs> we need sloth somewhere. stats. <laughs> but they only actually go down to use the bathroom. I think it's once every few days or something. Wow. So I mean that's commitment. That just makes me think of my most depressed day where I just can't leave the bed. I'm just slothing it up. Yeah. They do Until it. it becomes an emergency level. We're not at emergency level. I don't have to leave my bed yet. Yeah. It's fine. And I like sloths too because they're like little mindfulness gurus. You know, it's like they always got associated with laziness. But I think that's like some, I don't know, Puritan hangover stuff of yeah. like, I think sloths, they're like little Buddhas, man. They, they're mindful as hell. They just like... Mm-hmm. Hang out. They take things slow. They do what they need to do. Sloths do sloths. They do them. Mm-hmm. They don't. They're not worried about what everybody thinks. Yeah. So I'm gonna see sloths while I'm in Costa Rica. <laughs> obviously. Yeah, I'm very excited for you to see sloths in Costa Rica. I mean, obviously, I'm excited for you to travel and the experience and what you can learn from it and bring back. But I mean, the sloths is just. I'm a little. I'm a little jealous. I want to see some sloths. I better see some pictures. That's what. Oh I'm gonna see. yeah. Okay. Don't worry. There'll be lots of pics. Of just sloths and nothing else from the trip. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, my Instagram account will now be a sloth account. Um, <laughs> as will two nuts in a pod account. So get ready. Sorry. It's a sloth page now. <laughs> okay, so my thorn is that I have been, I love my pill regimen right now. She's working for me. I'm like, oh, finally, things feel good. I'm sleeping right. My moods are stable. Issue though is that I have a really hard time keeping track of my pills because I have to take them with food. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to time that right to try to get like take it at the same time every day, especially because one of them is supposed to help me sleep. So it's like I have to eat it with dinner, which means I have to eat later. Oh, it's yeah. It's like a whole thing. And it also just the the irony occurs to me that it's like 
I need these pills to make me feel organized in my brain, but I'm not organized enough to take the pills. (laughs) (laughs) And how can they expect that of me? Yeah, I'm seeing you, dear psychiatrist, because I need these pills to organize my brain. So can you not give me like a super, you know, nutty schedule that I have to follow with the pills? And uh, so I got one of those day of the week things for my pills because mm-hmm. that's another thing is that I don't remember whether I've taken it or not. Yes. Or my OCD tendencies make me think, um, okay, I remember taking it, but did I really, did I really, did I really? And it just like mm-hmm. gets at me and I couldn't find a way to do anything about that without just setting them out. You mean those little capsule compartment things that has each yeah. day, like a letter for each yeah, day? Yeah, a little day of the yeah, week. Yeah, so I use that too. And it's honestly so I, – I so I used to live with my grandmother and great aunt and they would use those. And I was like, man, that's such a – It gets associated like, with the elderly. Yeah, yeah. I'd be like, yeah. oh, that's just what my grandmother uses. And, and I was so grateful to get it because I could not remember when I was taking – or I'd have to set timers on my phone. But this just makes it easier just to have it little – Organized and compartmentalized. I can't mm-hmm. pronounce any word today. Well, and think, you know, if it is associated with the elderly, like, shouldn't you be paying attention to what they're doing? They've been on this planet the longest. <laughs> they know. Get a dang pill container. Yeah. <laughs> Ain't nobody trying to keep track of that. <laughs> you got it. This is a great point. <laughs> um, but it also occurred to me uh, when I was thinking about this that I why isn't why hasn't science made just a shot for my antidepressants? Mm-hmm. And anti-anxiety. Like, why can't I just like an allergy shot? Why can't I just get a shot once a month or once a week or something? Mm. I know neuroscience isn't there. It's like unexplored or under understood. It's under understood. That's hard to say. It's a less understood branch of science. But And I, I may touch on this again later in another angle, but I think a lot of times it's really about demand. Yeah. Um, I do know they have like an on, a long-term injectable for the medication that the schizophrenia um, patients can normally take. Oh, wow. And the benefit is huge for them because they're not doing the things you said, like wondering if, if it's a time to take that medicine again or having an episode before they have a chance to take month two's medicine. Yeah. So, yeah, um, demand, Ugh. demand what we need. And I had a feeling that maybe, oh, the research isn't there because the demand's not there because people aren't putting mental health, that's, that's not being treated as seriously as it should. That's true. But it also made me come up with another idea of like, it would also be cool if I could just drain out my excess adrenaline from, from my anxiety and just give it to other people, like sell it to adrenaline junkies. <laughs> Just be like, look, I got more adrenaline than I know what to do with. Yeah. You want to feel like you're skydiving? Try a little hybrid of my leading a meeting and uh, texting somebody who's mad at me, who I'm convinced <laughs> is mad at me. Just like, try it out. You'll be pleased. It's really, really adrenaline pinching. Yeah. Um, you know, why, why don't I share? There's people paying for all these experiences like skydiving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why can't I give to them what I don't want? Probably more affordable than skydiving. Also not as, I don't know, maybe just as horrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Especially the texting when you think someone is mad at you. You will be horrified. (laughs) (laughs) Get ready to feel all the feelings. Well, thank you for sharing your rose and thorn. And thank you, Nancy, as well. We're going to dive straight in. 
Uh, Nancy, I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about your role. You said for the past two and a half years as executive director of National Alliance on Mental Illness. I wasn't sure how that how that started or what got you into that role. Like, what what led you to working in mental health advocacy? Well, Emery, as much as I've always had an interest in um, mental health and psychology, um, as far back as I can really remember, in my high school years, I was always the, the friend that people came to to ask advice, and I always kind of envisioned a life where I might be speaking to large audiences and helping them through, you know, X concern. But I, much as you talked about earlier, um, a lot of times we we do not get to our careers in a linear path. Mm -hmm. And for me, I went through several different careers, um, finally landing on nonprofit management. And having been in the arts and community development before this job, there was no previous experience in the mental health field, except for that passion that had always been there. Almost as soon as I was hired, but in before I was getting a paycheck, I went to one of our family-to-family uh, -family classes. This is at a very in-depth um, educational class intended to support the family of um, folks who are suffering from a mental health condition and um, give them all the resources that they need and help them have peer support, etc. So in class four, I left and got on the highway ramp near um, the mall, and I realized I was wiping away a tear, and I thought, what was that about? Hmm. And what it was was the recognition that my career had come full circle back to a place where I was going to be helping others, having opportunities to speak in forums mm -hmm. and make changes in people's lives, even though I had initially decided not to go for a career in social work or psychology. So, wow. So that's what led me here. Very cool. I, uh, and I think, I think one thing that people don't realize about NAMI, which I think we've re we've said it, but it's National Alliance on Mental Illness, short NAMI for short, mm -hmm. uh, is just the the amount of programming. And I, I know that when I came in uh, to work with NAMI, I had no idea the amount of programming. So I just wanted, if you wanted to touch base on that a little bit, you already mentioned a little bit with the class you attended, but if you don't mind, just sharing some more details as well. Sure, the way. NAMI National designs programs is, you know, through research and evidence-based programming. And then they have this plethora of programs that any affiliate throughout the country is welcome to use. Initially, the first program here in Louisville was the 12-week-long family-to-family class. We have slowly added groups to the local um, Louisville offerings. We have three educational classes. Um, the two additional ones to family to family are basics for parents who have children who are showing signs of mental health conditions. And folks, that's the place we've got to, to catch this. The more we work with the youth and the more we can prevent them from um, expanding their mental health needs by addressing them early on, the healthier their lives will be. The other is a very new program that we're working to fill the first class for, which is for families of veterans. So many times veterans come back with PTSD or chronic pain or depression because the work that they've done through their military career isn't a, a civilian role that they can take on. Mm -hmm. um, so addressing that particular group of our society as well. We have support groups both for the families and the individuals. They run every week. Um, in town. And we also have the stigma-free workplace, which I mentioned earlier. And we started a youth advisory council. 
and the Youth Advisory Council is helping us to promote the work that we can do with the schools, which are some presentation opportunities, ending the silence in our own voice, and one that we have already worked with um, schools on is the parents and teachers as allies. So that's the entire range of programs that NAMI Louisville has chosen from NAMI Nationals programming to bring to this market. My motivation is to keep an eye on the pulse of our community and say, what else do we need? Hmm. And if we see that there's something else out there that we don't have, then we might look at bringing that program to Louisville as well. What I love from hearing that, because I don't know a lot about NAMI besides kind of seeing the work Emory has done over the years, like various mm-hmm. events, it, what strikes me about what you said is that every program you mentioned really focuses on lifting the silence, mm-hmm. That's right. on talking about it. That's right. Our, our focus is also peer-led. So every individual who is leading a group has been through the group themselves. Mm -hmm. They have the exact same reason for being there that the new student or or member of the support group has for being there. And that is really um, a win-win for both parties because with mental health, it's so different than physical health. Mm -hmm. And we, we all know this, you know, when you are physically sick for some reason, you might get flowers You might be told, oh, please stay home, take care of yourself. When we're mentally unhealthy, you don't physically see it. Mm -hmm. And so no one wants to address it. Mm -hmm. There's a stigma around it. There's the old image from from television and whatnot that, that shows us that these people are somehow unfit to be with the rest of us. What we may not recognize is that this is one in five individuals will seek mental health um, care every single year. So this is everyone else. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! This is all of us. And until we reduce that stigma and we, we recognize the commonality of mental health issues and also reduce the stigma by recognizing where those mental health issues most likely come from, there are really two main venues. There's one that's the genetics you're predisposed to a certain type of mental health condition. And the other is usually based on some sort of experience of negativity, a trauma or, um, you know, abuse of some type. In neither case is it something that the individual has done wrong. Mm-hmm. And what I like to, I feel like I have changed my mind about is like the definition of trauma too, mm-hmm. by my own experiences in therapy. Like I always thought because I hadn't had big T trauma mm-hmm. that I just discounted negative yeah. experiences. Mm-hmm. But if a negative experience is coming up for you so often and is shaping your life, that could be a little T trauma, you know, and we all have them. And I call them psychological wounds. Oh, yeah, that's good. So if you've got a wound on your arm, let's say you fall down and you cut yourself and you're bleeding, you won't ignore it. Mm -hmm. You'll you'll at least bandage it up yourself. You might even actually go to a professional and say, can you bandage this up? Mm -hmm. But there is not one person on this earth who does not have a psychological wound. Absolutely. Someone has bullied someone along the way. Someone has had some traumatic situation that, that they've had to deal with a divorce, a death of a loved one, a death of a pet, for goodness sakes. It can be anything. 
And you can be riding down the road on Tuesday morning thinking everything is peachy and for whatever reason something triggers that psychological wound. And now your day is not the same. And maybe you maybe you express that in a depressive mode. Maybe you express it in an angry mode. But whatever you express it is part of that whole untreated psychological wound. Hmm. And then the worst part about psychological wounds is we dig at them. Mm-hmm. Oh god. We're our own worst enemy. We take and is if that arm wound that I referenced earlier is now being scratched at constantly so it can't heal. Yeah. It's like oh, when you when you have like I a physical scab metaphor. or you had people that like to pick scabs or whatever, or like pickers. Yeah, just like you're constantly like picking at it. We're all picking at our psychological wounds all the time. We we think we're at fault somehow. And that's when you said, you know, that that getting your own care, seeing a therapist. Those those things will help so many people because it helps us to redesign the way we work with ourselves mm-hmm. to find new tools. Yeah. And another thing, too, with trauma is like being um, a highly sensitive person. Mm-hmm. I had to give myself permission to recognize those wounds or traumas because they were true for me even if somebody else who experienced it might not have experienced in the heightened way that I did. Exactly. Exactly. It's so individualized. Mm-hmm. So there's no, there's no rule that someone's going to sh- wag their finger. No, that's not a trauma. If that affected you in a traumatic way, then yeah, it's, a, it's trauma. a trauma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this is a more personal question. I just, you, you, you talked earlier about, we mentioned the, this was before the show, we mentioned elder millennials and you talked about, your daughter is more of a younger millennial, yes. correct? So I was, I was wondering, like, your work with NAMI and your work in the mental health advocacy field, how has that affected and changed or altered or impacted your relationships with family and friends? Has has it impacted at all, or have you seen changes or anything? You know, I think that, that any of us who do our own work in trying to make those improvements in our life and our psychological well-being, we address things differently with mm-hmm. people based on our our own learnings. And so definitely I've learned things from NAMI and my work here that I've been able to express to friends, family, or even some of our own volunteers. I am a very trusting person. You are able to tell me anything that you need to tell me, and I am not going to judge you, and I'm not going to turn you into the police or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So for that case, a lot of youth a lot of the, the individuals who might work with us at a volunteer level can tell me something that's a little traumatic and maybe not even all something they would want to share with someone they know better than myself. Mm-hmm. And um, we can help find them the right help and the support and keep that from being um, exasperated by anything else that might create more problems for them. I also just know about this work can be exhausting. This work can be time-consuming, exhausting, uh, maybe sometimes not as rewarding. It can be very difficult work as well. It's very, very heart-wrenching work at times. I was wondering, I guess, just for your own sake, what, what keeps you going? What keeps you motivated when you wake up each day and you're tackling new projects or new programs or new initiatives with NAMI? Like, what keeps you going? Well, it's, it's interesting you say that, and maybe it's part of the the full circle moment I was talking about earlier. 
I am driven by the work that I do. I love helping the folks that, I, that I'm that i working with. And I also think I'm kind of uniquely designed for nonprofit management. It's very multitasking. Mm-hmm. And you cannot do it if you're not able to keep all the balls up on, in the air at the same time. Um, does that mean I overwork? Absolutely. It's normal to have a 60-hour work week. Um, I never sit very far away from my laptop. And if I'm watching a show, it's still sitting right there. And if a thought comes up, then, you know, I I rarely watch anything live anymore because I need the pause button. Hmm. Probably the biggest hindrance would be um, in relationship to my children before they were able to drive. Um, Now Mm -hmm. we've got all drivers on the road, so we're in good shape. (laughs) But there would be many times when my daughter would be sitting at the Heine Brothers at Gardner Lane waiting for me because I couldn't Mm. get off work in time to pick her up. And, you know, that's not the mother I wanted to be, but she was good about it. And I think, like I say, now we're in a whole new world. So hopefully those days are behind us. I think we even talk about sometimes with um, just since we're hosting a mental health, you know, radio program that we have to be cognizant of our own mental health mm-hmm. because it, it it takes a lot. And we a lot of times when we share our stories, our own experiences, a lot of times that's, you know, resharing traumatic experiences, resharing mm-hmm. difficult things that we had to de- deal with in life. And just f- we've, you know, I think and Lizzie and I have had to navigate how do we how do we do this? How do we do this without eliciting so much stress on ourselves and making, you know, adding so much additional pressure. And it's like, sometimes that can be very difficult. So I imagine just like with the work with NAMI and, you know, if you're working 60 hours a week and the work takes a toll on you, that's, that's, it's gotta be difficult, you know, just to be able to be like, okay, I need to like take a step back and take care of myself too. Because we often, we often forget that because we want to help so much. Yes, I am. My calendar is full <laughs> and, and at 7 a.m. is always a positive affirmation or quote mm-hmm. um and after that it's it's book 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 until the end of the day and I was mentioning to Lizzie earlier that I'd like to start finding a slot that I put something in that says something like exercise or <laughs> or meditate or mm-hmm. you know um something for yourself that reboot I think is is something that I do certainly need to start adding to my calendar <laughs> Yeah. Or even just like a simple do something for you. Mm-hmm. Like just sit and think, what what do I need right now? Do I need to do a little face mask? Do I need to take a bath? Do I need to take a walk? I've been taking winter walks. And I'm telling you, with my mental health, like I've just got to be outside, whatever the temperature is, and I've, I've got to exercise. So mm-hmm. it's like walking, I, I kill two birds. So I'm yes. just like, I can't give that up. Even in the winter, I'm just going to have to be cold. One of the things I added to my, I guess, resolutions for the year was try to do something new every day that you haven't done before. So like, you Mm. know, you think about the drive to and from work or um, what you might do after hours, and it becomes very routine for all of us. Mm -hmm. And if I just add something today, this can be it. Yeah. Um, But add something Mm -hmm. that you don't do every day. You have um, so much more energy from that. There's, There's a real positive self-building energy that comes from that new experience. And, and I guess it doesn't have to be big either. It can no. just be something kind of small because if it's just one thing each day, like that could be, you know, you came on the radio program today as your one thing, but it, you know, tomorrow it could be like a trying a new food or, or taking a new direction from work or just like anything exactly. to add something new. Exactly. I like mm. that. Just I like the trying day. a new food because yeah. cooking can be very grounding. Going out can 
be nice too, just to like get out of your, because mm-hmm. it's easy to get into that like home body state, work home, work home, mm-hmm. work home, yeah. you know, that's, that's the little adulting jig that we do. Yes. Well, yeah. I was, I was having uh, drinks with my brother and sister-in-law recently and I was talking to them about my meal prep and it's something I'm, I'm pretty proud of. My meal prep has helped me live a healthier lifestyle, but I realized I was like, wow, for the past three years, my breakfast has like never changed. Like I, I eat the same breakfast every single day. Like, that is, you're such a creature of habit, though. I, that makes such sense to me. Yeah, I, I, I do that. And my lunch and dinner are almost the same every day. Unless I go to like a food truck downtown, I, I will eat my salad and my fruit for lunch. And for dinner, I'll eat my salad, my fruit, and some chicken. And, and it's like cooked the same way. It's been like that for three years. And I was saying this out loud. And to me, I I'd, I'd just normalized it. But then I was like, maybe I should just try something new, like try a new recipe, try something different. I do, I do love all those meals. Like I crave them actually. Yes. It's a weird thing with me now, but I didn't think I would crave salads like I do, but I just, some just trying something new. So I think I'm just inspired just from hearing you talk about, Hey, just one little new thing each day. Mm-hmm. That's bizarre to me because food is one of my hobbies because <laughs> I'm a food addict. So I wish I could say the same. Yeah, I I very much like the just um, eat to live. No, yeah, live. Oh, eat to live. I, I live to eat. Yeah, yeah. I, I eat to live. Yeah, I just like I just need it. So that's it. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty boring about food. So well, you're exciting in other ways. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I like I like the idea of trying one new thing each day. Yeah. And I think even with food, like with meal prepping or anything like that, you can just add something that doesn't take a lot of effort and energy. Uh, I mean, maybe some days it's a little more, but I, I really like that idea. So I want to turn the conversation back to NAMI. What are the qualifications for people to get services? Well, they really, they just have to fit any one of the programs. A good example would be... Um, in the last three or four days, I've gotten several people who were applying for the family-to-family class, but after better review, we found that at least two of them would fit better in basics, the one where the children are 18 and under. Hmm. And so um, it's identifying that they do indeed fit in the group, and that's it. They don't have to have any other pre-qualifications, a doctor's note. <laughs> no. Yeah, I was just thinking... Um... Is there like an age? Is it just 18 and under programs right now? Well, no, no. It's for anything. The the only 18 and under program that we have is really still for the parent. That's part of the motivation of our Youth Advisory Council Hmm. is to get those students to help us identify what we're missing for youth programming because NAMI National doesn't have youth programming to offer us. But we know through the research that we're seeing, that that's the age group that needs to be targeted. It's really 14 to 24. Mm-hmm. So that's the age group that those students are being invited to join the Youth Advisory Council. And they've so far um, identified three areas they really want to work on. They want to create a support group for youth. They want to also um, do some mentoring so come up with some ideas and programs and, and significant opportunities with children who are younger than them so that mm, those children yeah. also start talking about mental health. And the last one they want to do is just do the um, outreach. They want, you know, social media, do some YouTube, that kind of thing where they're constantly getting the message out that 
um, is reducing the stigma and getting youth talking more about mental health, Hmm. which they already do talk a lot more than us old folks did. So, yeah, I was thinking recently that when, like, I went to a speaker, Robin Oaks uh, spoke at Spalding, and she is a speaker who talks about, like, kind of breaking down, like, the polarity of, like, gender and mm-hmm. and sexuality, and it was a really amazing seminar, but I, I realized, I was like, the people in, in the room who were significantly younger than me, I was just, like, learning so much. Like, especially about gender, like, um, and sexuality, that mm-hmm. there were, there are terms now that I'd never learned. Right. And there's this sense of fluidity that I did not grow up with. And, right. and hearing that and seeing it was just fun. It felt like my brain was being rewired while I was sitting there talking to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and it's interesting that you bring that topic up because that is a, a very strong connector, um, in the youth with, mental health conditions is the coming out process. Mm -hmm. And when there's so many varieties and ways to come out, Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of conflictual energy inside that person. They have fear of what family or school or another authority might say, and they're 50% more likely to have suicidal thoughts. Mm. So we want to really wrap ourselves around folks like that as well, make sure that they understand that this is all just a normal process for them, that they are going to have to, to, eventually share this with those adults in their life and trust the process. Hmm. And that they're all, they're teaching all of us something like Mm -hmm. that's what occurred to me is that younger people means less of society's imprint on them yet in a way, or they, you know, they grew up with different possibilities, Mm -hmm. you know, that these things we have terms for now, it's not that they're new things it's you know it's not like being pansexual is a new thing right it's been going on forever human history (laughs) my daughter described it to me and i thought this may help the older audience out there but she said mom it's sort of like when you guys were younger you started saying we can date cross racially oh interesting and she said that was new then and the adults of that time were saying what are what are the kids thinking yeah (laughs) and that's so not a thing anymore and this is the new thing, is yeah. these different identifiable characteristics of sexuality that we all have. I personally have trouble keeping track of, and you you do too. So Yeah, but I'm always so excited mm-hmm. to learn about it. It's just, you know, they're seeing possibilities that, you know, I didn't know existed or I didn't have the words for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, just having like a much healthier sense of sexuality and gender in in that it's something that's constantly forming throughout your life and that you don't have to put yourself in a box. That was one of my takeaways from Mm -hmm. that is that, you know, with the questionnaires we were doing where we were kind of moving around the room and it was cool because we filled out these like surveys um, on our own, like gender and sexuality that were anonymous. And then she collected them and passed them back out. So you didn't know whose you had. Mm -hmm. And you were Mm -hmm. standing around the room based on the person's responses that you had. Interesting. Oh, that is an interesting. I loved that. I loved that because it felt it, you know, she was getting the same point of everyone seeing visually Mm -hmm. where everyone was on the spectrum Mm -hmm. and how complex it was. And even with the survey you're looking at, 
You know, you think when you're filling yours out, oh, this seems contradictory that I'm this and also this. Right. But when you're looking at someone else's, you're like, no, sexuality is complicated. Mm-hmm. That's it. <laughs> I think I just really want to commend NAMI and like-minded organizations that are looking to empower youth. Because like, uh, youth empowerment and youth development is is very uh, near and dear to my heart. And I just think it's so crucial to have these conversations and to provide these resources and outlets for youth because it's amazing what they what they can create that's right and it's just it's it's boundless energy and boundless optimism and just something that you know i i want to keep igniting that within mm-hmm. youth and i think it's it's really commendable that nami has taken this initiative to create the youth advisory council so that's been in existence for how long now it has been it fully developed for the past six months. Prior to that, that was in the development stage. Um, We do continue to take new members. There are only parameters that they have to be between the ages of 18, 24. Um, We have at least a couple people who are not in school in those Mm -hmm. ranges. Uh, If you are in school, that's great. You do not have to come to us with a particular mental health condition. You could be interested in the mental health field. You could be someone who is, you know, like myself, just interested in helping others. And so whatever brings that that individual to our group, I know what they bring will be important to the group and add to the work that we're doing. So absolutely. Growing up through our youth and we're not that far removed from just being teenagers we we didn't have these conversations right we didn't have these conversations we didn't hear about these resources we didn't know about it and i just god i just wish i wish those conversations happened 14 to 24 that's high school college and early career Mm -hmm. if we're not getting the help that we need in that phase of life you're going to drop out you're going to end up possibly incarcerated because of something, you're probably going to pick up a substance abuse disorder. There are so many things Mm -hmm. that will weigh those individuals down. And when I was speaking to a group at Mazik Middle School the other day, it occurred to me that that's the group I want to speak to the most, I think, because it's precursor to the group that's probably got a full-blown mental health condition if it's going to come about. Mm -hmm. And this group is still dealing with their own traumas and their own life experiences and their own genetics, but they, they may not have all the symptoms mm-hmm. of the mental health condition. So it can't be diagnosed and they don't know what's going on. And yet if we can reach them there, perhaps by the time they do get into their teen years, they'll be asking their parents to get them the help that they need. They heard it. It planted yep. the seed. Mm-hmm. They know that it's there. Yep. They were they were quite engaged, really. I was impressed. And it was mostly focusing on eating disorders. That was the topic they were interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there were people in the audience that brought up other topics. There was a young man who asked about um, homosexuality and the coming out process. And so, you know, that's probably something he's dealing with. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Well, and I, th- I think with that, it's almost like I, I think that teaching self-love is easier the younger you do it. Mm-hmm. That's totally from my experience, but uh, I have a very hard time with that, with self-compassion, with self-love. And I do think it was because a lot of my uh, experiences were not knowing why I was feeling how I was feeling, feeling isolated in it, Mm -hmm. that no one would understand. That's right. You're alone. No one else is feeling this way. I had no language for it. It's my fault. Mm -hmm. I didn't have language for it. So it was just something was wrong with me. It was my fault. And so I never, 
I never really got out of that. I still have really bad self-talk. Yeah. Which I think is probably true of all adults. So what wouldn't it be nice if we don't burden the youth with that same problem? Yes, oh, yeah. we can't do a lot for them. We're working on it. We're working on this planet, guys, but yeah. working on saving that. But That negative talk was, I mean, I just, I felt stupid. And I felt like I wasn't strong. And then it goes back to like, you know, those gender stereotypes and gender roles as like a man or as a a boy growing up that I, you know, I'm not supposed to feel this way. This is for only certain people to feel this way. It's not for someone like me. I can toughen it out. I'll be a man type of stuff. And just, you know, that, that jargon is, is nonsense and it's really detrimental to youth development. And, but it's just, to me, it's, again, it's so exciting to have to know that youth are even having these conversations that just like, you know, as Lizzie, you probably felt with the conversation regarding sexuality. It's just like you hear it and your mind is blown because you're like, wow, yeah. they're so much more advanced than me. It's yeah. exciting though. Yeah. Well, and we've talked, it, we've touched on it in several different places, the need for change and the need for evolution. And, and my new philosophy here is that if you really look back to the early 1900s, We've come a long way in mm-hmm. medical care. Things have changed greatly. Not so much in mental health care. Mm. And as I started to try to compare mental health care to physical health care, I found that even the scientists doing the research are still dividing them. If you look under chronic illness, there's nothing in there about mental health. Mm. Is mental health not a chronic illness? That's a really good point. And is it not a common one? But if you look at a breakdown of um, illnesses that are likely to cause death, one of them is um, self-accidental injury, which could be an overdose. One is Alzheimer's, which is a brain disease. And one is suicide. Mm. Now, those three are the only ones that are trending up. Cancer, diabetes heart conditions, they're trending down. Now, why are they trending down? Because our society found them worth paying attention to. Mm-hmm. See where oh, I'm going? I want to snap for that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes. So why are we not paying attention to mental health when it's trending higher in these areas that are truly taking lives and we don't even consider it a chronic illness? And we don't wow. have medication that suits Lizzie. Uh, yeah. Give me yeah. give me my antidepressant and anti-anxiety shots. Come on. Yeah. I'm not, would, I don't ask for much. That would work for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, wow. as, we, as we come near the end of our time, uh, Nancy, I just want to thank you so much for joining us. But I also want to give you this opportunity that if individuals want to get involved with NAMI Louisville, uh, do you have... Where would you suggest they go, but also what, you know, if there's big events coming up that you can talk about, if there's anything that you want to mention, I wanted to give you the space and opportunity to do so. Perfect. Because I tell you what, when it comes to nonprofit, the two biggest resources you can have are volunteers and funding. So with volunteers, we can never have enough. We use, like I said, all of our programs are led by peer volunteers. We are constantly working on filling classes to train folks for these programs and anyone who was interested would just need to reach out to the office. Then um, our phone number, I can give you that 502-588-2008. And the website is nami louisville.org. 
In addition to that, um, we are doing some fundraising. That's another part of the trying to get the, the dollars to the nonprofit. And we have two events coming up that are completely driven by us. One is our annual honor summit. It used to be called our annual meeting, but we are expanding this um, venue to try to bring a larger audience to our cause. And this year um, we have Julie Rocky Adams and Andy Brashear coming to speak to our audience oh, wow. um, on their stance of nice. m- on mental health care. That's so exciting. we're super excited about that. That's April 16th. That's a Thursday. Um, I wish I could tell you exactly where we've got. We're waffling between TV, two eh? venues at this point because <laughs> mm-hmm. our caterer is not approved at one venue. But yeah. um, <laughs> anyway, we will know that soon. And again, that could be found on our website. We do an annual walk, um, which follows Mental Health Awareness Month. We work on a calendar of events in May that um, will also be found on our website, not just put on by us, but put on by anyone who wants to do a mental health related activity. And May 6th, I mean, June 6th, I'm sorry, is the walk, which follows that whole month of May. And Mm -hmm. um, we have it down on the waterfront park. It is Mental Health Awareness Day in Louisville. And so we just, you know, get out there and walk and have music and have vendors and a little bit of food. And anyway, that's a, a great opportunity to to get involved as well. Now, an event that we did not start, but we are partnering with for the second year in a row is um, Four Pegs over in Germantown, picked up on a national program called A Taste for Life, which is an Anthony Bourdain suicide awareness event. Mm. And they, they partnered with us last year and did not block off the street and had 15 different food vendors. This year, we're going to have at least 36 at this point. The block's um, going to be shut down and it'll be a nice event oh, wow. and that's, that's awesome. the 27th of june wow what yeah. a positive way to honor him i love yeah. that yeah and i will say just for the the walk so i hosted a couple of teams a couple of few years ago for walks and it was it was a great experience but also it was just it was inspiring to have like a team because you can be a, a walk host or team leader and just having those individuals be there to support you and just to see so many other individuals just there that are supporting mental health advocacy and mental health research and, you know, maybe individuals who are living with mental illness as well. So that that was really, really powerful for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm very just, you know, I was very grateful for that experience. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Nancy. I wish that we had like four more hours. <laughs> So hopefully we'll have you back on in the future. And uh, I just thank you so much. Like I learned a lot today. As always, I feel like each of our guests brings something unique. And thank you so much for sharing with our listeners all that information about NAMI, because I really think that that's life-changing work. Yeah, I think it is too. And thank you guys so much for inviting us here today. And just as a reminder, you can find us. On Forward Radio, of course, Forward Radio 106.5 and forwardradio.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. You can email us at tunutsinapodcast at gmail.com and find us on streaming services, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and CastBox. All right. Well, everybody, keep talking about your feelings, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Please keep in mind that we are not mental health professionals, and our advice is based on our own experiences. Original theme music for Two Nuts in a Pod was composed by Neil Lucas.